Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. We are embarking in a brand new series entitled The Problem of God. Now it's going to be a different type of a series um, that we're diving into. And, uh, but I think it's, it's going to really be exciting because we're going to look at some of the questions that many of us have felt at one time or another. And a lot of what the world is, a lot of questions that the world is asking today. And, uh, and so to kind of understand and set the context of where we're going, uh, this series, we're going to call it an apologetic series. Now, if you don't know what apologetics means, it simply means, uh, it comes from the root word apologia, which means to give a defense or a reason uh, or an argument, uh, but a gentle and a gracious argument. Uh, we're not going to be, you know, throwing blows or anything in here uh, during this series. But uh, it's important to understand um, that 75% uh, of students when they transition from high school to college, they fall away from their faith. And a big portion of that is not because they don't know what they believe, but it's because they don't know why they believe it. And it's important to understand what we believe, but it's also just as important to understand why we believe what we believe so that we can give an answer when people ask. And so uh, before we dive in, I want to give honor and credit where, where credit is due. I am by no means, you know, a scholar or an apologist. Um, I've been leaning on the shoulders of some great men and women. And these are just some of the, uh, the, the research that, that we've done for this series. William Lane Craig, Norman Geister, Ravi Zechariah, John Lennox, Lee Strobel, C.S. Lewis, Gary uh, Habermas. Karm.org is a great apologetics uh, website for uh, questions that you may have in regards to, like, God's existence and the Bible and how do we know it's real. Um, and then Mark Clark actually wrote a book called The, the Problem of God. And so our series is kind of based on uh, the construct of his book and just really excited as we dive in um, and answer some of these, these difficult questions uh, that people are asking. Now, here's the goal. If you're taking notes, jot this down. The goal is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. It says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Everybody say prepared. prepared. To give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But this is super important. But do this with gentleness and respect. We want you to know why you believe, why you believe what you believe. And we, we really feel like God has called us here not just to kind of go through the motions and play church. But we want to equip you um, because the world is asking questions. And there's questions that there's answers to. And we want to be able to engage the world with the life-giving good news of Jesus. And sometimes these conversations can spark um, some incredible relationships. And so I, I want to speak to you today from the subject. Of are you there? Are you there? Look at your neighbor and say, are you there? Look at your second choice and say, are you there? All right, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God. I know that um, some of this stuff, it, it can be a little bit heady. And so I just ask that you would help me to communicate clearly. God, I submit my, my mouthpiece to you and my heart to you, God. Uh, just really want to convey your heart and build our faith, God. Um, help us to see that... Um, that you really are who you say you are, and there's answers to the questions that people have. So strengthen us, fill us, equip us. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Well, there was a young man by the name of Ben, and his mom, him and his mom were cleaning up the kitchen after dinner one night, and there was some, obviously some food that fell on the floor, and she wanted to sweep it up. So she said, hey, Ben, I need you to go outside to the shed and grab the broom so that we can clean up our mess and get on with our night. He says, Mom, I can't do that. It's dark outside. She said, Ben, 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 Ben. God's going to be with you. It's going to be okay. Just sing a song. Go to the shed. And 
no, I just don't think I can do it, Mom. He was still really hesitant and wanted some extra confirmation. Are you sure that God is there? She said, yeah, God is everywhere, and he's always willing to help when you need it. So finally he said, okay. So he sheepishly walks over to the door, opens it up, and feels that cold air coming in. It's really dark outside. And at the top of his voice, he yells, hey, God, if you're there, can you help me and go to the shed and grab the broom? Come on, that's funny. I don't care what you say. But we're going to begin our time at the very beginning today as we answer this fundamental question. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Does God exist? Does God exist? Now, there may be a lot of different questions that are fundamentally important to you right now. Questions like, where do I find joy and peace and happiness and rest for my soul? You may be contemplating a question like that today. Uh, some of you may be asking, man, Pastor Matt, I appreciate the whole God exists question, but I'm just trying to figure out answers to my current issues and problems. Totally understand. Maybe you're here today and the question before you is, who am I going to marry? What does my future hold? Like, what is happening in my life? And then there are some of you that you're already thinking about lunch. I haven't even started preaching yet, and you're already like, man, what's for lunch? Where are we going? But can I just tell you that the existence of God has huge implications to those questions. Huge. Now, I, I don't know if, if you're here today, and maybe you're struggling with your faith a little bit. In fact, let me say it like this. Maybe you're here and you don't believe God exists. Maybe you, you were brought by a friend or maybe you've been coming to church because you, you like the people here or whatever, but you still have a hard time believing that God exists. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure. You're kind of on the fence. I'm not sure if God really exists. I kind of think he does. I kind of think somebody's out there, but I'm not really too sure. Maybe you used to believe, but then through a series of events and circumstances, your faith has been shipwrecked and you're asking that question, God, are you really there? And then lastly, maybe you're here today and you totally believe. Like you're following Jesus and I'm praying that this series really builds up and encourages your faith. Um, you know, as, as we dive into this, I think it's important that we, we understand that uh, if you have doubts today, if, if you have some skepticism, that can actually be a great catalyst as long as you're pursuing truth. Like those things, your doubts are welcome here. Your skepticism is welcome here. Um, it, it's, it's fun to actually wrestle through some of the questions and dialogue. In fact, at the end of this um, series, we are going to have a panel um, where we're going to have, and we're going to encourage you to write down some of your questions that you may have on your Connect card, maybe some questions that we don't, we're not able to get to, and we're going to have some fun on that Sunday. We're just kind of stepping, you know, taking stuff out of the, outside of the box because I really believe we're living in a post-Christian state where a, a lot of people aren't even sure about God. A lot, some people have never heard of Bible stories. And so we really want to engage um, the world around us. And so whenever you're pursuing truth, the first thing that you want to, the first thing that you're looking for is evidence, right? Like, prove it to me. Like, give me some evidence. Now, this is, this is so big. And I want to camp out on evidence just, just for a quick moment. Like, let me use the resurrection, for example, the resurrection of Jesus. So if Jesus rose from the dead... And appeared to you right now. Like he said, hey, let's, let's get out of it. He's not that good of a preacher. Let's go to Chick-fil-A, have some lunch, right? <laughs> you guys have some Chick-fil-A. He says, hey, put your finger in the holes. It's me. And you lean in on that conversation. You say, hey, Jesus, there's some questions that I really would like you to a a answer me. 
And what if the Lord looked at you and said, you know what, man, those are some great questions, but I'm not going to be able to answer those until we get to eternity, until you're with me in eternity. Now, could you live with that? I, I think so, because if you're staring at the resurrected Savior in the face, that's pretty encouraging, that's pretty convincing that what he has to say is true. And you could probably live the rest of your life not having the answers to all of your questions. See, here's the dilemma, is that there's enough evidence out there right now for you to build a solid, logical, reasonable case for the resurrection of Jesus. Like, there's enough evidence for you to come to a logical, reasonable, solid conclusion that Jesus really rose from the dead. But here's the trouble. Many times what happens is, is we don't uh, examine the evidence, um, and a lot of times we don't examine the evidence by itself. Let me explain. What ends up happening a lot of times is we bring our pre-prejudice to the table that keeps us from examining the evidence. For example, uh, well, if there's a God, then why does he let all these bad things happen? We're going to talk about that in this series. If, if God, you know, really loved me, then why did this happen in my life? Or it could be anything. And so we bring that pre-prejudice to the table, and what it ends up doing is it hinders us from weighing the evidence by itself. Are you tracking with me on that? Now, evidence is, is important. Like when I come home after work, I know where my kids are because there's a trail of evidence. <laughs> right? There, there's, there's, there could be crumbs, there could be toys, there could be clothes, and it leads me right to the gigantic mess where they're having a blast. Right? We, we have to make sure that we're, way, we're looking at the evidence and, and that we're allowing the evidence to lead us to that proper conclusion. For example, there was a, a man by the name of Anthony Flew. He was, he was a, a staunch atheist uh, for, a, for a number of years. Uh, he had some of the, the most heated debates and really argued that the existence of God was ridiculous. Why would you believe in God, that it was not logical, it wasn't rational? He even went to the degree to say it's emotionally unhealthy to believe that God exists. Well, two years before he died, he never became a Christian, but he did become a theist. A theist simply means somebody who believes that God exists. Because he said the more that he dived into philosophy and science, he had to put his pre-prejudice aside as much as he didn't want to admit it. And he built his life on this atheistic approach. He said the evidence pointed to the reality that God has to exist. And so I just want to encourage you throughout this series, let the evidence put some weight on some of your discrepancies. Let the evidence speak for itself as we dive in. Is that cool? Now, now there, there's several arguments that we could talk about in regards to the existence of God. Um, but we're going to look at two over the next two weeks. And there was a, a gentleman by the name of Emmanuel Kant, and he, he said it like this. He said um, that there, there's the two major arguments that have led many atheists to faith in Christ and many atheists just to believing that God exists is really the moral law within and the starry host above. He said these are the, the two main arguments. So we're not going to deal with the starry host above, but if you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down. We are going to deal with the moral compass within. We're going to deal with this reality today. And, and the moral compass just simply means that there's something inside of us that we just inherently know right from wrong. Now, whether we, we're actually living what's right is, is a whole other story. But, but we inherently, there's something stitched on the inside of us where we just know this right from wrong. Now, it's important to understand a little bit 
about physics. Anybody uh, excited about physics? Like you wake up, you're like, physics, it's awesome. Uh, one person, thank you, Cor. Uh, now let me just tell you about physics. Physics is simply where we get a, a, a lot of the understanding of our natural laws, uh, things like gravity. But then there's something outside of physics called metaphysics. Now metaphysics is, it's, meta is Greek for beyond. It, it simply means beyond what physics is able to explain. And morality or this rationale of right or wrong, physics is not a, physics doesn't know what to do with that. You see, for, for, for thousands of years now, people have debate, debated the origin of the universe. Like, where did this all come from? Like, like what, what, is this, what, what is this all about? Is there any meaning to what we're experiencing, to the life that we're living? Now, this was even happening in Jesus' time. You had the Greek philosophers and the Stoics who were getting together, contemplating this and trying to figure this out. Then you had the Hebrew mind that understood that God exists. And, and, and it was pretty interesting because John, um, one of, the one, one of Jesus' disciples, in his gospel, he actually starts by addressing some of these questions. And you may not have seen it like this before, but I'm hoping that it will kind of bring some new things to light for you if you have. And if you've never opened up your Bible, praise God. I'm so glad you're here. Um, you're going to learn something today. And, uh, and so, so John, John basically said, he said, hey, guys, uh, I want to let you in on a little bit of secret, on, on a little secret. I want to bring you in, and I want to wrestle with some of these questions. Look what John says. John chapter 1. John chapter 1 starting in verse 1. He says, in the beginning, the word already existed. Now, this word, obviously you see the word, word is capitalized. The word, word, and underneath this word, there's a word. Um, some of you guys are like, I knew I shouldn't have came to church today. Caused me to think too much. But this word, it actually means logos. Logos. Now, what's interesting about this is that the Greeks and the philosophers and the Stoics had this idea of what logos was. They believed that logos was an impersonal kind of cosmic creative moral force behind the universe that's yet to be explained. But then the Hebrew mind also had an understanding of logos. And they knew it to be the word of God that is uh, super powerful, that is divine, and is full of wisdom. And so it's so cool because John is like saying, hey, to the Greek, to the philosopher, to the Stoic, you trying to figure all this out? Man, lean in. To the Hebrew mind, lean into this just for a minute. I got something to tell you. And he goes on to say this. He says this. He says, he goes on. He's going to change the slide right now. Um, he says, the word was with God and the word was God. So he's saying to the, to the Greek, to the philosopher, he says, hey, you want to know where all this comes from? God. Like rocket science, right? That's where there, there's a creator. Now, the Jewish mind is sitting there thinking, of course, of course there's a God. But he's like, no, it, it, like, lean into this just for a moment if you have a Jewish mind. Because he, he goes on to say this. He goes on to say, he existed in the beginning with God. All of a sudden, John said, hey, Hebrew mind, you knew that God exists. But can I tell you how personal he is? He, and John is speaking of Jesus. John is saying that God, God came in the flesh, that the word of God became flesh. And so the Hebrew mind's like, whoa. Because the Hebrew mind kind of always saw God as distant, kind of far out there. Like they knew, but he was all powerful. And it was like, man, we don't, we're, he just seems kind of disconnected, really far, really huge, 
really sovereign. They honored, they, they, they honored, they loved, but it, it just seemed like, man, God, there's still a distance between us. Now, this is so cool because John says, listen, if, if you were looking for the answer behind all of this, to the Greek, he says, it's God. To the Hebrew, he says, man, you knew that it was God, but let me tell you how personal this God is. And then he goes on to say this. He says, God created everything through him, meaning Jesus, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life. Look how personal it gets. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. So this is, this is so cool. And then it goes on to say that light, the light couldn't, uh, that the darkness could not snuff out the light. And so, so what John is saying here, he's saying, hey, guys, none of this is by accident. He's saying there, there is a God who has a viewpoint of the way that life is best lived. There's a God who's designed this whole deal. It's not just some force behind the universe. It, it's God. And to the Jewish mind, he said, and, but he is so personal. And, and, and he wants to have a personal relationship with you. He has this design, this construct, this viewpoint that he sees the world through. And that's where we get our morality from. That's where we get this idea of right or wrong is how God stitched it into our fabric. But this God wants to be so personal with us, and he's very relational. He is not so far up in the sky or the cosmos that he's disconnected from our reality. And he's like, this is, and so you could imagine in this moment that John is making this case of, you know, there is a creator. None of this is by accident. Now, maybe you believe that. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, yeah, I'm just not sure if I buy it. Like, I think it's more kind of a random chance that we, 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 we came into being, that maybe there, I don't even know if I believe in morality. It's kind of just up to you to choose your own morality. It's kind of relative to, to each individual person. Well, and, and that's fine if you, if you have that viewpoint. But if you have that viewpoint, we still have to deal with this one reality. And if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Why do we have a moral compass within like if God doesn't exist, why do we have this sense of meaning? Why do we have this sense of right and wrong? Well, well, there, there's a few different thoughts out there today. Let me, let me show you them on the screen. A few different thoughts. There's evolutionary thought, naturalistic thought, relativistic thought. Now, all of these, all of this thinking really struggles to explain a couple of things. But before we get there, let me explain what these mean because there are a lot of big words. Evolutionary thought basically says survival of the fittest, baby, right? Strong, dominating the weak. I'm going to make decisions to get mine and go for mine. I'm going to step on whoever I need to in the process. It's about preserving me and my tribe and advancement. Now, naturalistic, this is a little bit confusing, so just bear with me. Naturalism is kind of an offshoot of, of evolution. And naturalism basically says that there's no such thing as a supernatural that doesn't exist, that the way we even come to logical conclusions is through brain behavior through the law of physics. The only problem with that is that's not how physics operates. So this one kind of jumps off a cliff on its own. Ooh, all right. And then there's, then there's relativism. And relativism basically says, hey, um, Christianity may be true for you, but it's not true for me. Uh, you know, that may be right for you, but that's not necessarily right or true for me. But all of these struggle with, with trying to understand these two realities. If you're taking notes, jot these down. Sacrifice and kindness. Because apart from God, there is no meaning. There's, there's no meaning to life. Um, and all of these, th this, this type of, of, of thinking 
basically says it, it's all about you. It's self-preservation. You, you really don't, you shouldn't care about anybody. Like, where does that even come from? Like, why do you even care? It's, it's, it's really just about you. It's about survival. It's about, you know, taking the next hill and, and dominating who's ever in the process. And so it, it, they really struggle to, to answer the, the questions like, why would somebody jump into an ocean of shark-infested waters to rescue somebody who just got bitten by a shark that they too could lose their life? Uh, why do people do that? Well, what about just kindness? Like, if you have tons of money and you're sharing it with others, why would you even do that? Like, why, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to help others? Why would you even? And so these thoughts of mine, they really struggle to answer some of these questions. In fact, from an atheist evolutionary standpoint, they would basically say this. You want to know what the meaning of life is without God? Well, let's look at Richard Dawkins, one of the leading atheists of the day. Look what he says. He says, if God doesn't exist, no evil and no good, right, no morality, then this, this is his viewpoint of life. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. That's the meaning of life. But, but here's, here's, here's the whole. The fact that he's saying there is no meaning is a problem. Because why would he even care if there is no meaning? Like, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Are, are you tracking with me on that? Like, why would you even care? Why is life, it wouldn't even be pitiless. There wouldn't be indifference. It would, but you and I both know that this is not the way we live our life. Like, when we don't have meaning to our life, when we're lacking meaning, what do we do? We fall into depression. Why? If, if like, if there's no meaning and no point, if God doesn't exist, then why do we even care about these things? Truthfully speaking, we, we, we shouldn't. But we do. And C.S. Lewis came to this conclusion. Now, C.S. Lewis was an uh, atheist for the majority part of his life. And it was this argument that pushed him over the edge of faith. He says, I can't get around it. And let me read to you a, a quote from him. He says, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But check this out. But how had I gotten this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? If the whole show, uh, he says this, he says, if the whole show was bad and senseless from A to Z, so to speak, why did I, who was supposed to be part of the show, find myself in such violent reaction against it? A man feels wet when he falls into water because man is not a water animal. A fish would not feel wet. Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust. Not simply that it did not happen to please my private fancies. Thus, in the very act of trying to prove God did not exist, in other words, that the whole of reality was senseless, I was found and I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. Consequently, atheism turned out to be too simple. If the whole universe had no meaning, we should never have found 
Uh, if the world, if the universe has no meaning, we should never have found out that it has no meaning. Just as if there were no light in the universe and therefore no creatures with eyes, we should never know it was dark. Dark would be without meaning. That's deep. What C.S. Lewis is saying is, where does this sense of justice come from on the inside of me? Like, why when something violates this, this, this reality of justice, why do I even care about this? If God doesn't exist, then there is no meaning. Now, I think it's really important that we understand a couple of things. There's a difference between objective and subjective. Uh, subjective truth, objective truth. Like, let me give you an example. Uh, subjective truth would be like this. Cookie dough is the best ice cream on the planet. Now, you may be sitting in your seat saying, uh-uh, Rocky Road. Rocky Road, right? Now, now here's the deal. That is relative. That's personal preference or opinion. That's a subjective truth. But now an objective truth would be something like this. Insulin is good for diabetes. Like whether you believe that or don't believe that, whether you accept it or you don't, truth, truth of the matter is if you have diabetes, you might have taken a shot this morning. Because it's an objective truth. We just can't argue with it. See, like, let, let me break it down even further. Our, our sense experience lets us know that the physical world is very much for real. Right? Like, like if, if, I, if I trip over a rock and I hit my head on this TV, my physical sense, ow, is going to let me know that this TV is objectively there. It's for real. Well, in, in the same way, in the same way, our, our, our moral experience lets us know and convinces us that there are moral objective values that we can't get away from. Like, 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 let me give you an example. Has anybody ever, have you ever said something like, that's not fair, or you're wrong, or that's unjust? Has anybody ever said that? Well, what you're doing in that moment is you're simply reinforcing your belief that there are objective moral values that aren't just true for you, but are true across the board for everyone. Now, I see this with my kids a lot. Let me show you a picture. This is so cool. Yesterday, uh, my, my daughter, Abby, she brought me this plate. This is actually, I took this picture. I was so proud of this picture. I was like, well, that's a good picture. Um, she brought me this plate. She said, Daddy, I, I don't want you to have to come out. I know you're studying really hard today, and just here you go. I was like, oh, Lord, thank you. And then her and my oldest daughter brought two more plates. I was like, man, I could get used to this. But keep them coming. And, uh, and I said, hey, girls, listen, thank you so much, but da daddy can't eat anymore. Daddy's full. And, and so Olivia stops. She says, but wait, Dad. Abby got to bring you two. I only got to bring one. That's not fair. Like, where did they get this stuff from, right? Uh, my, my daughter went to, uh, uh, we went to an indoor, like, you know, uh, indoor. It's called Lost World. It's like a play, like an indoor park type of a deal, and, and a kid uh, slapped her or hit her or something, and she ran up to me, Dad, this little girl hit me, and, and she was infuriated. What she was saying is, that is unjust. She needs to be punished. Like, where does she get this stuff? Now, you might be sitting in your seat right now saying, well, that's easy. She gets it from you. Where do we get it? Where do we get this stuff? Like, who tells us that, that, that racism is not okay? Like, who tells us that genocide is unacceptable? 
Like who, who tells us that murder is, is appalling? Like, like who tells us these things, right? Well, well, well truth of the matter is uh, we would never say that any of those are subject to preference or opinion. Like I don't know anybody in this room that would say, you know what, man, murdering somebody, racism, genocide, woo way to go. All of us would say those are, are, are wrong. Not based on preference or opinion. Those are wrong, period, for everybody all the time. Now, now why, why is this? It's because, it's because we're intrinsically wired this way. It's, it's woven into the very fabric of who we are. See, we don't like, we don't think racism is wrong because we dislike it. We dislike it because we know it's wrong. Are you tracking with that? And so, so and, and it's not just people that believe in God believe in this, this, this moral law, if you would. In fact, look at this, look at this gentleman. Um, he is, uh, his name is Michael Roos. He's an atheist and uh, philosoph- philosoph- uh, philosopher of science. Sorry. <laughs> it's a lot of big words today. Give me a break. And uh, at Florida State University, and, and look, look what he says. He says, the man who says that it is morally acceptable to rape little children is just as mistaken as the man who says 2 plus 2 equals 5. But, but here, here's the deal. Where does he get that from? If there is no meaning, it shouldn't matter. In fact, he should be celebrating because the weak is, the, the strong is dominating the weak. That's just how we move. That's how we maneuver. Nature is, is having its way. Nature is running its course. And so anytime that you believe that there is, is objective moral values, the only logical conclusion is there has, that has to come from somewhere. If there's a moral law, there has to be a moral lawgiver. Now, now, some of you guys may be asking, well, what about like in cultures where they think cannibalism is okay? Well, just because, uh, you know, somebody thinks something is okay. Uh, I mean, you could get in such a place. I mean, we live in a world as a follower of Jesus. We understand the reality of sin and the reality that, man, we can harden our conscience to, to what we know is right and what we know is true. But, but let's be honest. Um, just because you believe 2 plus 2 equals 5 doesn't mean that. That it works doesn't mean that, the, that all of a sudden math doesn't exist. Are you guys tracking with that? Two plus two equals five, regardless if you like it or not, regardless if you believe it or not, regardless if you're living that out or not. Let me explain. Let me give you a different example. So when, when the Nazis were, tr- were on trial, when, when that whole regime, I'm not sure the court, I'm not sure what exactly the case this was, but just bear with me. I think you'll catch the heart. Um, their argument was, hey, listen, you know, uh, a superior race for us is, that's just a part of our culture. That's just, that's just, well, that's, that's right for us. And so, but how the court ended up ruling and said, the, the court ended up ruling and saying, listen, there is an authority, there is a law that's a lot larger than your culture. Essentially what they were saying is, you're saying two plus two equals five, but we're sorry, bro, two plus two equals four. And so I don't care how much you think it's five, this moral truth, this moral reality that's outside of your culture still stands to be true. Does that make sense? And so, so, so when we think about this, there, if there's a moral law, there has to be a moral lawgiver. Now, it's so cool because the Bible explains this to us. Like, we, we wrestle through so hard through all of these different questions and all these different things. And, and Paul says, oh, let me tell you what happened. Um, Romans chapter 2, verse 15 
look, look what Paul says. He says, even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. Paul said, oh, lean in. I got some more to tell you. Look what he says. He says, in fact, they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts. For their, their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. It's just woven into the fabric of who we are, of how God made us. God sees a way. God has instituted a way that life is best to live. And he's woven that into the very fabric of our being. And this is where evolution kind of starts to fall apart a little bit. And listen, if you believe in evolution, I'm not here to smash you today. I'm not here to make fun of it. Uh, matter of fact, I mean, there's some great, you know, dialogue that, that if, if that's where you're at, we'd love to have with you. Um, so by no means, you know, feel like I'm just like going to punch you in the face. Um, but, you know, this is where our, the argument starts to break down of evolution. Because evolution says that we get our, our, our thinking and our moral judgment through instincts from our primitive ancestors. Now, evolution still considers us all to be animals. So basically the animals of our animals that were ancestors to us, they were the ones where we get kind of our moral construct and how we decipher and instinctively live our life. But there's, there's a problem with that. So, like, if you see a lion attacking a gazelle, like, no one looks and says, murderer! Now, some of you might think and you might say, hey, oh, a cute little gazelle just got eaten up. But then what? Hey, that's just the way the game goes, man. That's, that's it, right? If, 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 if a shark forcefully copulates or mates with another shark, we don't call that rape. We don't say, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> that's not okay. But at some point within our species and only our species, there was a tipping point where all of a sudden there was this moral law woven into the fabric of who we are that we now say, that's murder. That's rape. Like, that's not okay. You see, from an evolutionary mindset or a naturalistic mindset, you would never come to that conclusion. Like from that belief system, from that mindset, I should be able to sleep with whoever I want to sleep with at whatever time, forceful or not, because I am preserving my seed, my tribe. Right? Like if I jumped into the audience right now and grabbed somebody by the neck and started tearing them apart and, you know, eating them, no one's going to say, it's all right, he's just hungry. Instinct. No one's going to say that. You're going to look and you're going to say, man, that, that, that was decisively what? Wrong. Decisively wrong. You know, Jeffrey Dahmer, they said, um, if you don't know who Jeffrey Dahmer is, he was, he murdered a lot of people. He ate a lot of people. Um, started off with, uh, you know, abusing women and then later started eating them, freezing their organs and all this crazy stuff. He said, you want to know where it all began? Because he ended up giving his life to Christ in prison before he died. He said, you want to know where that began? He said, I grew, I, I grew up believing the evolutionary mindset. I was just doing what I was supposed to do. And I was free to do all that until I realized I was going to be held accountable by a living God. Even though things were violating my conscience, I still continued to move forward 
and and you could see how how just crazy, you know, how crazy it can get, how far out there that can get. You see, none of us really have the right with an evolutionary or naturalistic perspective to be upset at, at any of the things that are happening in the world today. Uh, racism, you should be applauding it. Uh, genocide, you should be jumping up and down, slapping high fives. Because there, there's, there's nothing in that naturalistic mindset that would lead you to conclude that any of that is wrong. Everything about that mindset would say, yes, they're doing it. Yeah, like if somebody steals your car, you, you, you can't get upset. They're getting theirs. Can't say this is injustice, this is wrong. You got to say, man, I'm so grateful, so grateful they took my car today. Way to go. Right? I remember having this dialogue with this lady at Costco. Great conversations can happen at Costco. Um, great conversations can happen outside of the church. And uh, we struck up a conversation. I don't even know how we got on this topic, but she found out I was a pastor, and she let me know that she was a, um, an MIT a former MIT professor. And I was like, oh, okay. And so she found out I was a pastor. She says, well, I don't believe in God. I'm an evolutionist, so forth and so on. I just said, oh, okay, you know, got it. And she said, you know what, though? You know what you should be preaching about? You know what you preachers need to do? And she just started letting me have it. You should be talking about, you know, the genocide in the world. You should be talking about. And I said, whoa, time out. And respectfully, I said, why, why do you care? Well, what do you mean, why do I care? It's, it's wicked. Oh, it's wicked. So remember, to assume evil is to assume good. To assume good is to assume that God really exists. So I said, no, I said, with all due respect, gentleness and respect. I'm not trying to, you know, punch somebody in the face or just win an argument. I'm trying to lean in to say, hey, you need to question your belief system because you're not able to take it all the way. Like you, you want to partial it here and there. But you really should be applauding for all of those people. And you should not be upset at me for not preaching because it doesn't matter. It's all meaningless. Well, uh, you know, and that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> I invited her to church. Um, let, 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 me, let, me, let me tell you tell you one last story. There was, there was, a, there was a girl. She was in, a, in, a, in another country. She, she was pregnant. She had an emergency C-section, and the doctors mangled the baby, hopefully by accident. So the, the baby was not able to, to, to breastfeed and to, to breathe at the same time. But they said, go home. Your baby's going to be fine. No worries. It's, it's going to work out. Well, the baby wasn't okay. And so she came back to the hospital. And they looked at her and, and she said, listen, my baby's not okay. Like, she, she's not eating. Or, and they said, I, I'm sorry. Who are you? What do you mean? I, I was just here. I just gave birth here. This is my name. We have no record of you. In fact, in fact, you need to get off the property before we call the authorities. Every single one of us in this room feel that injustice. We feel that. Outside of God, you would never come to that logical conclusion. You would never feel that disdain. You would never, you would never be repulsed by that unless there was someone above all of this telling you that it's wrong. So, so if, if, if we don't have an, an, if we don't have an object, we, we, don't, we don't know how to differentiate between up and down. 
And so, so when, when we just say that, that God doesn't exist and we're just left to a multiplicity of opinions and, and decisions, I mean, just think about truth for a minute. When somebody says there's no such thing as absolute truth, truth is relative to the person, then that statement isn't true. To deny truth is to assume truth. To deny evil is to assume good, which is to assume God. To say that there are objective moral values is to say that it has to come from a law giver. Somebody has to put those in place. In other words, God exists. And it makes so much more logical sense. Like, look at this last, last point. When we look at God's nature as the object of of Basically, what filters all of our decisions, what filters through all of, uh, all of our, our actions, it just starts to make sense. And all my slides are from William Lane Craig, by the way. Um, justice, love, truth, mercy, patience, grace, goodness, peace. Like when, when God's nature now becomes the measurement for all of our decisions, for all of our actions, all of a sudden it, it starts to make sense. I mean, it's, it's very logical than to try to, uh, I, I, think, I think there was a debate, R R Richard Dawkins, uh, fa famous atheist, he, he was asked, why don't you cheat on your wife? Like, why do you live kind of a, like, why aren't you sleeping with a bunch of women? I mean, you can do whatever you want. And, and his answer was, well, I, in certain things I step outside of my Darwinianism. So that's cool. So you can just like step outside the matrix. Like, I'm just going just, to, just in this one, right? It's just so hard to, 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 to make it stand up. Believe me, man, they try to make some good arguments. And if you don't understand a lot of this stuff, you can get yourself backed into a corner real quick. So grateful I have friends that, that teach me this thing. Friends like Corey over there. Friends like, like Andrew. Um, friends that, 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 man, spend their life just, you know, you know, running down some of this stuff. Why? So we can give an answer, not so we can win an argument, so that we can win somebody's heart to the truth who's in desperate need of the reality of God. And so, so let me just wrap up with this passage found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. This is very simple. Want to know how all this plays out? It's the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. And what did he do? He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, morality, justice. Even though, and, and, and look at, and, and the man became a living being. Now, now, here's the deal. Even though we may know all these things that are right from wrong, the reason why we choose wrong a lot of times is because there's a sinful nature that was a result of Adam and Eve's decision in the garden. Now, I think it's so beautiful because God not only stitched this on the inside of us, but he made a way out. For us, when when we knew when he knew that we'll never be able to hit his standard, because if we were judged by God's nature and by God's standard alone, none of, all of us Romans chapter three um, says that all of us fall short of God's glory. There and God says, "I get it, man. I totally get it. That's why I sent my Son. That's why the Word became flesh. That was John's argument. That this this is this is why God stepped into time." suffered a, a death on the cross, rose from the dead. Why? Because he knew that we could never hit that standard on our own. But now because of Christ, we are made righteous. We are made righteous not by what we do, but by what he did. Are you guys tracking with me on that? That's good news, ladies and gentlemen.